Inter Miami's 2022 preseason continues to roll along with games, goals, and the newly acquired right back. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to podcast on Inter Miami, a podcast that, as we've said beginning this year, has been listened to in more than 50 countries. If you're new here, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. It helps us out tremendously. And follow us on all our social media channels. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one-third of your hosting team. The other two-thirds are here present with me as well. One is Jose Cinco Armando, and the other is Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing today on this fine Wednesday morning? <clears throat> yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, thanks. Braving the uh, the subarctic temperatures here in, uh, in in South Florida. Uh, I think I've survived. I actually managed to go on a bike ride this morning, which uh, shows that we've, we're out of the uh, Arctic phase, which is cool. And um, yeah, it looks like uh, we're going to touch on DeAndre Yedlin in a bit. There's a bit of an update about the stadium. Um, yeah, things are sort of progressing interestingly. There's definitely a lot of things happening and a lot of things that have happened since our last podcast because the last podcast was obviously before the game against Universitario de Deportes, the Peruvian club. So we've been able to see that game. Jose was also able to see the following game against DC United, the preseason game. And of course, as you mentioned, DeAndre Yedlin did sign earlier today. And we're going to dive into all of that. But before we do that, Jose Cinco, how are you, my friend? Hey guys, I'm um, doing doing good. Um, very happy that I'm in South Florida and not covering the U.S. and Honduras match tonight in um, in Minnesota. You know, seems like conditions are a lot better here in South Florida. So happy to be here. Happy to talk about Inter Miami. And like you mentioned, I was there for the game over the weekend, and um, I know people want to know a lot about that game because that game was not available on the Inter-Miami app, so people were not able to watch the game. So I'm happy to give you all insight on that game. Yep, Jose will give us a full rundown and a full breakdown and analysis of that game. We will also, of course, dive into that Universitario game that we all attended, that fans were able to attend. It was a pretty fun atmosphere, and obviously there were a lot, a lot of goals in that game. So a lot to talk about. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. All right, Jose. All right, Steve. Before we jump into our takeaways from our initial impressions with this version of Inter Miami, let's talk about the biggest news, which is DeAndre Yedlin signing. The move comes to pass after a bit of uncertainty last week. Didn't look likely, but it does happen, as Steve mentioned on last week's show. Inter Miami has its right back. Obviously, DeAndre Yedlin will slot in there as the starter on the right side of the defense. So that position has now been addressed. Now it all has come into the picture why they traded Christian McCoon for the number one spot. Now we know why they did that. Jose, I'll start with you. What do you think of the move? 28-year-old right back with U.S. men's national team experience has played at very, very high levels in Europe. What do you make of Yedlin's arrival to South Florida? Well, I think it's it's definitely positive. We can go back to, um, you know, when when uh, the news broke about um, Christian McCoon being traded. You know, the reaction at that time was not positive. But you know, I always thought that we had to wait until um, the whole situation, the whole scenario, got completed, and the plan was put in place that 
you know, they will take the, the number one spot in the allocation order. And now that they have been able to sign DeAndre Jetlin, I think it works for Inter Miami. It was a it was a good trade, a good decision overall. They obviously needed a right back. They have enough center backs. And um, and with Christian McCoon being in Charlotte, I think it's a good scenario for him. And now it is a good scenario for Inter Miami that he's not with the team anymore. Obviously, Yetlin brings a lot of international experience, not only with the national team, but, but at the club level. I do believe that he's a player that will feel comfortable in South Florida. He can understand the style of play that Phil wants this team to play. And um, I, I think it's a good signing. I think it's a good signing. Hopefully, he's able to yell quickly enough so that you know he he can he can play an impact not only in the regular season but early on through preseason, build some of that leadership that is going to be needed from him, especially defensively. I think it's a great move, just because not only because he's sorry, not only because he's a U.S. men's national team player with international experience, he's played in Europe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think just stylistically and and what he provides in terms of his skill set i think it fits in perfectly with what this team's looking to do be energetic you know have have more speed down the wings and attack those wings etc etc i think this is a, a great fit he obviously wanted to come back which is something he touched on in a recent article with espn.com very well written article sheds a lot of insight into deandre edlin as a person where he is right now his family, a lot of the ties that he still has for Seattle. He said he wants to go back there uh, at some point. Definitely wants to be back home. But, Steve, what do you think of the move? What do you make of DeAndre Edlin at Inter-Miami? Yeah, I mean, I, I like, as you say, his experience played in the Premier League with Sunderland and, and Newcastle. Uh, international experience is in a, good, a good age, 28. Um, and, yeah, you know, provide a lot of sort of speed and dynamism uh, down the down the right flank, not, maybe not the greatest defender in the world, but um, definitely good good going forward and pretty quick. And uh, yes, if anyone wants to sort of get an insight into what makes him tick, I recommend that ESPN article. If you've got like five hours to read it, it's very very long. <laughs> it is um, very long. Uh, it is very long. He 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 comes across like a thinking man's footballer, which uh, which is quite rare these days, and always makes him just a little bit more interesting, and it makes him yeah an interesting an interesting character. So be uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to him at some point. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that first meeting with him when he's a part of the team. Right now, he's with the U.S. men's national team as they, they finish up World Cup qualifying in this window. Uh, they have another match again tonight against Honduras, as Jose previously mentioned. We know who we know who Jose is rooting for in that one. But, but yeah, I, I agree that the, the article was, albeit long, it was very insightful into who he is and you know all the books he's read and his thoughts on a lot of different things as well as just football and life in general right now so definitely worth the read definitely check it out none of us three wrote it so we're not promoting it for for those those uh purposes it's just i thought it was a, a well done piece on the on a new inter miami player and, and this is a, an interesting anecdote that i can share because i imagine when he arrives here and they have the press conference or the scrum however inter miami plans to to formally present him to us i imagine there will be a good turnout in terms of media presence. And I can go back to 2014 when he was in his second year as a professional. He was with the U.S. men's national team. He was one of the surprise inclusions on the World Cup roster. And we had in New York roundtable interviews at one of the luxurious hotels there on Times Square uh, with 
the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster. And, and he was at his round table and he was sitting all by himself. There was not a single media member sitting there to talk to him. Uh, and because he, he was just fresh, fresh off, fresh off uh, just starting his professional career. And, you know, everybody was going to, to the bigger name players and Clint Dempsey, Tim Howard, et cetera, et cetera. Yedlin was there by himself. I, I did sit with him and talk to him for a little bit. But obviously had to do the job and, and talk to obviously the, the bigger name players. But now he is going to be one of those players on this team. He's going to be one of those leaders on this team because of where he is. He's still fairly young at 28, but he will be one of the leaders, one of the referentes on this team that, that younger players turn to, that has to lead by example on the field and in the locker room and has to help you know implement that looking for the word that Chris Henderson used, that culture, that he's going to have to help implement that culture that Inter-Miami is looking to establish. So uh, I think it's a good fit. I think it's a good fit for both parties. We'll see how how quickly he gets rolling. But let's switch gears to the games because there finally were some games for us to watch. Steve and I only saw the game against Universitario Deportes as well as Jose. Let's start there because all three of us were able to were able to watch that one. So... Inter Miami wins by a 4-0 mark. Impressive, nice little way to show the local fans what this iteration of Inter Miami is about. A good way to introduce themselves. I want to just quickly ask you guys for your biggest takeaways from that game before we dive into a little bit more of you know the formation, etc. etc. Steve, what was your biggest takeaway from Wednesday night's game? Last Wednesday's game. Just that it just it just has the team has a completely sort of new you know, feel to it. Obviously, there were some, you know, Harvey Beck, uh, Harvey Neville was playing and there were some youngsters playing in, in the second half, but there just did seem a, you know, a freshness uh, about it. Uh, you know, Joe, Joe Motta played in, in, in the first half. And um, yeah, you know, it's difficult to to ascertain exactly where they're at. Uh, Universitarios were just coming, they're still in pre-season because of the, the COVID effect. COVID has affected the Peruvian League. So that was, it's difficult to gauge exactly where they're at, but I just felt there was a, a freshness and a sort of new feel about the team, which I think is what they've they've tried to do in this in this last few weeks is, is completely reshape the squad. So um, yeah, I, I, I like that element of it. Jose, what did you think of that that game? That game in specific, because I, because I know you watched the weekend's game, so you have maybe more uh, more arguments for for your viewpoints. But if you could try to narrow it down just to Wednesday, what did you take away from Wednesday? What was your well, biggest? Uh, I would agree with Steve. I, I I do believe that you know against Universitario there, there was plenty of intensity. There was a sense uh, I think within within everybody watching that you know you were you, you were watching a team uh, start, starting to develop into something different than what we saw last year. Um, I do believe that you know right now it's it's not only about. Gonzalo Higuain saying that he wants to be a leader. I think he's showing it a little bit more, and especially in that first game. I think the first half is basically, you know, what we can really right. count that game because second half, you know, a lot of substitution. Even the coach of um, Universitario was complaining about that. And, <laughs> and, and you know, you, you can you can honestly say that you know, if 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 true, everything that the Universitario coach said at, in a press conference. Um, they do have an argument that Inter Miami had an advantage there, but still, I think you know you look at some other things other than the tactical. You look at the energy, the disposition of the players. I think overall, a very good showing. I I liked it. I liked it. I think you know it's a step forward. It's early on. 
Obviously, they were not spectacular. They, 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 they were not brilliant during the entire match. But, you know, I think it was a good way to start. Is there anything the, the Universitarios manager didn't say during that press conference? <laughs> because, uh, I, that, I, that press conference is the equivalent of the ESPN.com article on DeAndre Yedlin. <laughs> I was planning to leave because to, to explain to people when uh, you know, he came in, he speaks in Spanish. I only speak Spanish and it doesn't get translated. So I thought I'd, I didn't want to be rude and just leave even though I wasn't really going to get anything out of it. I already filed my story, but I thought I'd just stick around. 25 minutes later, he's still talking. 29 minutes later. 29 20, minutes later. Getting, and he was getting absolutely grilled, wasn't he, by a load of Peruvian media on Zoom. Yes. And then all of a sudden, he finishes. I get up to go, and the player walked in. I mean, I'm not, never, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not that dissing, um, you know, player manager availability, but that was uh, something special. I actually felt really sorry for him. He was getting hammered, wasn't he? I mean, it's a, he coaches one of the biggest clubs in Peru in a country where football reigns supreme. So Uh it's a preseason game, but that's, you know, that's the type of pressure that comes with leading one of the biggest clubs in a country that like that. So, I mean, yeah, he was, he was getting grilled for, for 29, for half an hour about, about the loss, about the lopsided nature of the defeat. Uh, And obviously, you know, he was, he was given his reasonings and his explanations and his thoughts on, on the whole thing, which we can touch on in a little bit, because I just want to quickly say that, my biggest takeaway was the intensity with which Inter Miami played. A team that's much more athletic, much faster. Those are the biggest things that, that you quickly take away. We can we can, and we will dive into more of the details. Like Jose said, that first half is really where we had something to chew on and something to take away from the game. Because the second half, yes, there were some good individual moments. The team played better. But when you have that many changes, it just, it just makes the game abnormal because you that's just not a, a normal game circumstance where you're making, you know, in, in Universitario's case, up to five changes, and in Inter Miami's case, nine, ten, eleven changes. So the first half is what we can really, really dive into in terms of what we might see from this team in 2022 when the games start counting for points. So let's let's start there because I had this discussion with Jose in person after the game. Jose said he liked the first half. The first half ended 2-0. An own goal from Universitario and then a nice, solid, cool finish from young center back Ian Frey. Looked more like a striker the way he he calmly and in composed manner put the ball away with a low shot to the near post right before halftime. I did not like the first half, by and large. By and large. In terms of proposing or or being on the front foot and, and trying to play soccer, play football. The, the structure, the shape, the defensive side of things, the organization, that was great. That was good for Inter-Miami in that first half. But in terms of the build-out and playing with the ball, and I know it's the, well, it's the second game of preseason for them, I didn't think that was great. And I thought 2-0 to zero was a bit flattering for Inter-Miami in terms of what, they, what, what we saw in that first half. Because the first goal, like, like I mentioned, comes off of a Brexche whips in across from the left, and the Universitario player, all by his lonesome... Nobody really around him just decides to play this awkward clearance attempt and he pushes the ball into the back of his own net. And then Inter Miami after that, for, for me, you know, kind of lost whatever control it had of the game. And Universitario started creating more and it started. It had two very good chances. Once One comes off of a, a mistake from uh, Inter Miami at the back and trying to build out. But a bit fortunate, I thought Inter Miami, they, they, they did not concede in in that first half and then Ian Frey obviously scores and it's two two to zero in the first half 
and it looks a lot more rosy than than it was. At least that's my opinion. That's my opinion. But I will say this: a virtue of a team uh, is when they can get a result or take the lead when they're not playing well. And that's what Inter Miami did in that first half. They didn't play particularly well, but they were up two to zero. So that is a, a positive step forward, a good sign, because I think last year's Inter Miami, last year's version of this team it would not have taken a lead at halftime or gone into the half with a 2-0 lead. I think it would be either on even terms at 0-0 or it would have fallen behind. So that is a positive step, but obviously there's there's better to be had in terms of the football on display. Jose, but I, but go I, for it. I do. I, listen, I think we can all agree that the score doesn't really matter in this game. Like Inter-Miami had a couple of mistakes defensively that should have been scored on by Universitario. So you can count those mistakes as a goal, and it doesn't really matter. Those are mistakes that they have to fix, and that's why we're in preseason, and that's why some players are getting an opportunity that most likely is not going to be there in the regular season. So other than the score, other than the mistakes that they had, I think the intensity was there. I think you know it felt like the the players were had the right mindset, and that alone for me is a step forward. Whether you win 4-0 or you end up tying the game or losing the game, eh, I don't know how much value you can put into the final score. I do believe that the team is making progress, and that's why what I saw on the field, I consider that to be a step forward. I I consider it to be a step forward, but and again, this is early preseason, but but when you think about playing MLS teams once the season gets going— is that is that type of football going to be enough? That's where that's why I think they. I mean, and I think that they know that that they that they need to improve by a good good margin because the football wasn't enough. The football wasn't good enough for me. Like, the, well, they, just, they have to. They have to. This is the first game of preseason. It was so the second second game of preseason. Second first one yeah, we could see, one, but second game. The details of the first one were twenty minutes. 20-minute halves, right? So they, they essentially played that first game against the Columbus crew. As I as I said towards the end of last week's show, if you didn't stick around for it because it came after the Q&A session, the first game against the Columbus crew, Inter-Miami lost or was outscored, however you want to look at it, because it wasn't a, a traditional or an orthodox type of friendly. They lost 4-1 to one to the Columbus crew. They played four 20-minute periods. And in terms of the information I have, it was essentially they played... Two games of forty minutes with twenty minute halves. Essentially, that's the best way I could probably simplify that. So, um, not not your normal type of game, but nonetheless, they did have that under their belt before going into Universitario. But anyway, continue, Jose. Yeah, no, I, I was just saying that you know, whether it's the first or the second game in preseason, they should be better by the end of the month, right? So, what we saw from Universitario, and and I don't I don't think it would. Listen, formation could be the same, but I think most of the players will change when it comes to February 26th. And even if the same lineup remain, they should be better. They should. They, I mean, that's. I, I couldn't tell you right now that the same the same level of play that we saw against Universitario will be exactly the same, and I wouldn't expect to be the same that they're going to show in the first game of the regular season. I mean, they just should be better. And if they don't show that, I mean, then. Uh, Phil is going to have to answer some questions. Steve, what did you think of that first half? Did you come away impressed? Did you come away so-so like me? Or just what were your thoughts there on the opening 45 minutes? 
It's just you know it's pre-season. You know he's putting new players, as we just mentioned, through their through their paces, different systems. I I I think you're getting a bit too up, overreacting us a little bit. I, I wouldn't take too much it you know into it in terms of the performance. I think they did well, scored a few goals. Um, you know it was right. It was difficult conditions, wasn't it as well? It was really raining heavily for the first half. Yeah, I mean I thought that. And to be honest, if you want to gauge anything, then you've when we spoke to Phil Neville afterwards, I mean, he was absolutely buzzing, wasn't he? I mean, he couldn't have been happier. He was absolutely delighted. So, um, you know, I think it was, yeah, job done. They, 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 they sort, they've seen enough and we keep harking back to it. But remember this time last season, they were struck. They didn't barely play the game. So they've already got a real sort of, you know, early start in terms of seeing exactly, you know, where they're at. So and we'll, we'll see it as it, as it, as it goes on for the, for the next few weeks. What are preseason games for, Steve? Besides, besides getting some fitness in, what are they for? Get minutes in the legs um, to actually, you know, you can't, it's a cliche, you can't replicate the match situation just by playing against yourself. So it's different different questions coming up. We've played against a, a team which they didn't know too much about, different style. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't see what, what what was the, there weren't too many issues for me, really. I just think it's the minutes in the legs. So you were happy with that first half? You, 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 that, that first half in terms of a soccer standpoint, you were okay right, with Okay, that. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. I thought I, I quite, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. I would disagree you? with you. I would disagree with you. Like, I, I'm not saying that not worth enjoying in terms of like how Inter Miami took a two zero lead. I'm talking in terms of the soccer that they put forth because the soccer they put forth, I didn't come away with. Okay, that's good soccer. I don't think they should have even been up two zero based on what we saw in that first half. I think that that scoreline was flattering. Yes, it's a preseason game, but gonna, this if is. If you take off your Peruvian tinted glasses and maybe. We can... <laughs> I mean, Universitario is not Peru, but anyway, we can, uh, we can, I, dig- no. I digress, I digress. Uh, the atmosphere was great, though. The Universitario fans that were, that made the, the trip down to, to the Drive Pink Stadium, I thought the atmosphere was great, with, with La Familia on one side, Universitario on the other, uh, and that was on a Wednesday night with the game announced on pretty short notice. Imagine what the stadium would have been like had that friendly been played on a weekend with uh, a bit more of a heads up. But anyway, uh, nonetheless, again, for me, that first half, so-so. Second half, Inter Miami was the much more dominant team. As the Universitario coach explained when he was making his reasoning, the the changes obviously impacted things, and Inter Miami made nine changes to start the second half, which took him by surprise because, according to him, they had agreed to five to six substitutions, or that's what he was informed before before the match was organized. And obviously, Inter Miami made uh, wholesale changes. And, and in the second half, they were much more dominant. Harvey Neville, Phil's son, goes from right back to left back, scores a, a great goal, although it was uh, it looked to me like a, like a cross that just happened to find the back of the net. It pinged off the, the far right post and, and goes in. And, and Inter Miami goes off, uh, scores a late goal as well from uh, Ethan Harden, uh, bouncing header at the back post. So 4-0 Inter Miami victory. Anything from that second half you guys wanted to touch on? Harvey Neville was obviously a talking point after the game. And, you know, Phil didn't say it outright, but Phil did did allude to the fact that they're waiting to sign him once, or they're going to sign him once he receives his green card status or his green card in general, so that way he doesn't take up an international spot. But anything else you guys want to touch on, whether it's Harvey? Steve, I'll start with you. Yeah, I thought yeah, Harvey Neville was was quite energetic, wasn't he? Uh, uh, at fullback, Ian Frey, that you know, they clearly like him, don't they? Phil Neville talked him up 
after the game they're going to be careful with him because of his injury but he's you know scored a, you know a lovely goal and uh you know, the, the, the front office's mantra the whole time was that they want to have players representing into Miami, the, you know, home home players. He's one of them. He's young. And um, yeah, Nev- Phil Neville's eyes sort of lit up a bit when they, they talked about him and he's only young. That, that's the kind of player, if he's got the potential that, they, they you know, they're, they're building the team around. And I think that's, that's, that's the way to go. I, I also liked Ian Frey. I thought he was the best player in that first half and, and uh, probably my man of the match if, if I had to pick one from those... Uh from that preseason game. Jose, anything you want to touch on from the second half of that game before you dive into all on your own here, the DC United game? Yeah, no, I would agree with you guys. I, I was really impressed with Harvey on the right side, not the left. Uh, also, also, also right back, right wing. I think he, he was, you know, he was, he was very good. Uh, I was impressed. I haven't seen much of him before that game. So um, I, I thought he was okay. And I, I, and I do believe, you know, he can, he can earn a spot in, in in the MLS team. And the other thing that you know caught my attention as well is that Phil deciding to go back to the five men back or three yes. in the back five. You know that's that's something that caught my attention because I I understand that you know that's uh, something that worked for him last year. But I, I was uh, I, I was indecisive as to uh, whether that's that's the way to go this year with with all the players that you have and all the energy young players. But in the end, you know, he, he decided to do that. He he did mention in the press conference that, you know, they're working on different formations. So so we'll see when, when we get to see the, the the four men in the back or maybe a four four two. I don't know what he's thinking about in terms of other formations, but just getting away from those three center backs. So I, I have heard and I believe I shared this on one of the most recent podcasts that they have trained in a four man backline and they have also trained in a five man backline. So Wednesday it wasn't surprising to me, but I do want to touch on that before we get into the into the the game against DC United because that's something that is notable. It's one of probably the biggest talking points and we, we should not miss it. Is the formation that they used because that's going to help dictate their shape defensively and, and how they go about things. Also in the attack, there was uh, a lot of runs forward from both fullbacks. The three center backs, of course, clogging the spaces in the middle. You had your two central midfielders trying to help with the build-out. Iguain as the nine. And you had two two wingers who didn't operate as wide as maybe traditional wingers would. They were a little more tucked inside. In this case, against Universitario in the start, was was uh, Ariel Lasseter on the right, Robbie Robinson on the left. They operated more in the half spaces, occasionally going out wide closer to, to the touchline, but it was uh, they were a little bit more tucked in, and, and the fullbacks were providing with into the into the attack uh, on occasion. On occasion. So... What did you think of that formation, Steve? Jose just gave us a bit of his thoughts on it, and he's not sure if they should go with it. I think they're going to stick with this. I think this is going to be their main look over the course of the year for many reasons, which we can dive into. But I do think just based on the way this roster has been built, look how many center backs are on there. I think they're playing a five-man back line uh, for much of, of 2022. Steve? Yeah, I guess it would make sense, especially now with, with sort of Yedlin, um, you know, providing sort of attacking impetus. If you're going to play three centre mid, three centre backs, you're going to have to have two wing backs. You know, that are sort of pushing on. Uh, so I guess that fits in a bit. And you know, we saw that last year, didn't we? With poor Lewis Morgan, you know, told to go to fullback rather than winger, but he does still like his his fullbacks to to push on. And I thought, you know, Mbiko, he's raw, but he's quite good on the ball, isn't he? So I think they've all got to you know be able to use the ball and, and be good in possession, and you know. 
you know, attacks will start, you know, at, at, at the back and they'll, they'll play it out and they'll, they'll look to use use the wings and then maybe Motta in, in midfield just trying to pull some strings. So, um, yeah, but they've got options, haven't they? That's the thing. He's, he's, got, he's got options now. They have a lot of centre-backs because we saw three and the players that weren't even there that didn't play in that game. Jairo Quinteros, who was uh, off with the Bolivian national team. Uh Damian Lowe, who's with Jamaica, Ryan Saylor, who they've drafted, haven't signed him yet, but you know you can imagine that they might sign him. So they have quite a bit of options there. And again, that's just because of that reason alone. Uh, I, I would say that they're going to stick with the, a five-man backline more often than not this season. I would also say based on how MLS is and how this team is in terms of its makeup, I think that you will, they will stick with that five-man backline more often than not because... They do want to be a possession-based team, but they're a young team. There will be teams that are maybe a bit more technical and that will will be able to knock the ball around. So I think Inter Miami wants to try to be solid at the back and try to be more competitive, keep the zero there for as long as possible and try to pick and choose their spots. I don't necessarily think this team will be as possession-based as, as they say they want to be, but we will see once the games that matter uh, arrive. Jose, let's switch gears now to the DC United game you attended at Drive Pink Stadium. I was unable to attend. I was in Colombia for a few days, which I had a great time. That'll be my final thought. Oh, what a time I had in Colombia. Um, but Jose, what can you tell us about that game, the formation, the performance, the individual showings? Give us everything you've got, my friend. Well, it, the formation was the same that we saw against Universitario. Um, the one thing missing from the get-go was the intensity that we saw against Universitario. And Phil talked about it in the post-match press conference. And, and you know, that relates a little bit to to the energy from the fans. You know, there were no fans in the stadium, even um, all media covering the game. We were down at the, you know, in the suites downstairs. We were not allowed to go up in the, in the, in the press box. So we, we had a, an interesting coverage, I would say, because, you know, we, we, we had more contact with the players. We, we, we At least I, I paid a lot of attention to the communication aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was something really interesting to see. Iwain um, talking with his uh, teammates near, you know, that's, that was something very positive as well. He was a little bit more assertive, but at the same time, he was trying to help everybody out. Um, plenty of... Uh, uh, of talking points here, but um, I'm going to give you guys uh, just so that you can picture the way the team played in terms of the formation. Um, a couple of substitutions as well from the Universitario game. Calendar on goal. Um, Harvey started on the right. Three men in the back with Frey, Mavica, and McVeigh, and Shea on the left. In the middle, um, Mota started again. And Mo Adams took uh, Victor Ulloa's place from the game against Universitario. And let me tell you, Mo Adams, he played a really, really good game. Very, very good with the ball. Solid trying to find an outlet quick, quickly. Um, same with Mota, but they were not able to connect. I mean, they were doing things individually. They were good, but they were not able to connect. And I think that will come with time. You know, playing side to side, it's it's going to be important for them to be uh, on the same page. And um, you know, in the attacking on the attacking part of the field, um, Lasseter on the right side, uh, Gonzalo Wayne in the middle, and Robbie Robinson on the left. Lasseter had a lot of opportunities early on in the first half, 
but he was not able to connect with either Robinson or Iwain. And at times it happened, which is something that I'm sure is concerning. Um, it happened that um, Iwain went to the middle of the field to try to get some touches and then pushed through the right side. And Lester had plenty of room, plenty of time, but there was nobody inside the box that can finish the play. And so Robbie Robinson had to make a run from the left. And obviously most of the time it was too late. So those are one of the things that I think, you know, you have to think about when you plan to use this formation during the regular season. Um, in the second half, you know, we, we there were some notes as well in the second half because, you know, we were able to see Mo Adams as a right back or right wing back. Um, Harvey, again, moved on to the left and it wasn't good. It wasn't good for him. He did struggle a lot on the left side. And, and it needs to be noted as well that DC United, they played really, really well. They dominated possession in the first half. I'm not surprised. And, See, um, I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised by that. But con- sorry, yeah, continue. They were, they, were, they were very good. They were very, very good. They looked like you know they were a step or two ahead from Inter-Miami. And so I think it was a good test for them. And the one thing that, you know, I think to me the positive out of the out of this uh, out of out of this game was Mo Adams and uh, and John Mota. I think we saw more from Mota, especially you know moving the ball quickly, and and that's why I asked him that question yesterday in training, because it really caught my attention the way he was able to move the ball a lot faster in the middle. I only wish that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing he'll play it next to Gregory in right. the regular season. But it will be important for for Inter-Miami that whether it's Mota or Gregory on the field, that they do have that connection in the middle with the partner that they will be playing uh, alongside. So that's the one thing missing at times. I think overall this, this, was, this was not a good performance for Inter-Miami. I think DC United, they, they have proven that they are the better team right now. And um, and defensively, again, you know, the, the mistakes that I mentioned in the game against Universitario in the first half, they were there again against D.C. United. Um, Mavica, to me, he was, you know, he was OK. You, you come you come to expect to, for those guys to make mistakes. It's a very young um, a group of center backs. Um, Harding came on. Harding came on in the second half as well. Um, um, well one more thing as well in the middle is. You know, and in terms of the communication that I was mentioning before is Victor Ulloa. You know, he's a very important player for Phil. You, you can tell because as soon as he came on, you know, he played with the young group this time. The game against Universitario, he was part of the experienced team, as we can say. Right, and right. Second the, half, the quote-unquote experienced group. Quote, quote. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the second half this time around, he was the leader, and he was he was the player that called the plays, um, asking Ascona, who entered in the second half as well, to hold on to the ball a little bit more, not to rush and and move forward. Um, so he was he was a positive influence in in the middle. So I can tell that Victor Yoa, he's I don't think we give him the credit that he deserves, but I think in training. And just from being around the young players, he's going to be a very important part of this team uh, moving forward. So uh, I think, again, to repeat, overall, not a good performance. Defensively, a a lot of mistakes. They were not able to recover the ball, not a lot of possessions. But individually, some sparks in the middle. And um, Harvey, again, with a good performance on the right side, not so much on the left. And the connection at the top is something that 
without a doubt, needs to work on whether it's Lasseter on the right side or Robinson on the left. Robinson, you know, not a lot of connections with his teammates, which is something that needs to change. He, he cannot become a, a 1v1 player all the time. At some point, he needs to look to, to find a way to, to connect with, uh, with Iwain in the middle. And, and that give and go that Iwain gives Miami in the middle of the field moving forward needs to find um, an association so that it can be successful when, when it comes to real competition in the regular season of MLS. So that's what I can tell you about the game. Uh, I, I do believe that there's, there are some things that need to get better from that game. And, and I think it, I'm glad it happened at this point in preseason because there's still time. And uh, we, we'll see Leonardo Campana and Emerson uh, Rodriguez, who were not available again, when they are going to be able to actually play games with this team so that we can actually see what the impact that they can make. But so far, I think this game not as good as the first half against Universitario. I nodded my head while you were talking there because that was as thorough an analysis, as a breakdown as I could have imagined that you could have given us. That that was spectacular. I'm going to give you a round of applause, actually, Jose, because Cinco, you, you, you went above and beyond there, brother. That was, no, that was, no, really. I mean, I'm a, I'm a soccer junkie. I'm a soccer nerd. So, I, I listen, I wasn't there. I wasn't able to see the game. This wasn't live stream. So, you know, that is the type of information and the type of uh, breakdown that I really, really like and appreciate. So, um, you know, th- thank you for that. all that. There are some things I would like to touch on based on what you said. And, and Steve, I know you've been quiet for a bit, so I will I will ask you to chime in as well. Because okay. based, on, based on what you're saying, Jose, now they've played three preseason games, yes? Yes, okay. two and a half, I, should, I would say. Okay. But again, three. Yeah, I know let's, you like to count the first one. <laughs> but let's let's just for, to sit, make it simple and simplify it. Let's say they've just played three. Okay. In three games, in three games, they have scored six goals. Not a bad haul in preseason. You take into account there's a lot of changes, et cetera, et cetera. You said you saw a team on this last Saturday's game or in this past Saturday's game that had trouble with the ball. My first half analysis of the game against the Universitario, I saw a team that struggled with the ball. In the game against the Columbus crew, we could not watch it. I was not able to see it. But the lone goal that Inter Miami scored came off of a corner kick and not from the run of play. So to me, that's already a trend that is starting to be established. And it's early. They still have some more games. They have a few more weeks. But that is uh, already somewhat of a trend that we need to be, I don't know if concerned about, but keep an eye on that because... Again, I don't think this is going to be a very possession-based team or they're not going to be as possession-based as they as they say they want to be. I think this is going to be more of a defensive, try to hit on the counter with speed type of team and try to keep a, a, a tight block at the back and, and limit the spaces, have the ball at times, but obviously they want to try to be quick and fast for a reason because they they I imagine that they think that they're going to have to hit on the counter more often than not, but... Is that concerning to you, Steve? Do you or, or do you think that's just it's too early to say? I think it's just too. I think it's too early. I think uh, you know these. Let, let's have a look at it. Two, three games into into the, the proper season, I think that's where they're doing the work to to get themselves ready. You know, you know, right now. But I, I think all the signs are showing that they're, they're, you know they're they're working on different things, and some of it's coming to fruition before. But you know, players take time to to gel. There's a lot of young players as well, and. You know, um, you know, point was made to me that you know Iguain has lost, you know, a, a lot of his sort of allies uh, 
Gonzalez, Perez, Vigal, the guys that he sat with at lunch every day, they're not there. So it's interesting to see what effect. So we touched on last week, maybe or the week before, but you know what effect that will have, and um, you know, and he'll help now cajole the, the younger players. So there's there's a lot of things going on. What you would see when you make so many so many changes, but um, yeah, the proof will be in the, in the pudding once we start the season uh, this month, two two three weeks, three weeks time. That's what that's what I'm saying. It's coming. It's the season's fast approaching. It's coming quick. Jose, is that at all concerning to you? Is that something? I don't know if concerning is the word, but is that something you're keeping an eye on? Is that something that this Inter Miami team you think might have trouble with, or do you think things will will start to resolve itself or themselves once? Emerson Rodriguez is able to play once Gregory is able to play he hasn't played yet once uh, Leonardo Campana is able to play and if they bring in this this more attacking DP type of player that that, that, that will figure itself out what, what are your thoughts on just that the attack and, and the Inter-Miami with the ball well I think bringing all those players into the lineup will definitely help but you know I think it it, it also comes down to who you're playing against you know, I think what happened on on Saturday, it, it's it, it's clear evidence of that. You know, they were just playing a, a team that is a lot better with the ball. You know, DC United they play with three in the back, but they were decisive when they had the ball. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. You know, the the communication from the coaching staff to the DC United players was minimal. You know, the 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 instructions from Hernan Lozada were basically two touches, two touches. That's all he kept saying. Like, and, and everybody knew exactly what they had to do. And they had young players as well. So um, I, I, I think, it, you know, it, it's going to come down to, at least early on, it's going to come down to who you're playing against. And, um, and remember, this is, this is a long process for Inter-Miami. This is not going to end... Uh, on February 26th when you play your first game. You know, it's 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 not going to be that easy. This is a, a brand new group of players, you know, that are trying to understand exactly what, what Phil wants from them. And so I, I don't think I'm concerned right now with that. I, I just uh, I just understand that this is a process. And, and, and right now they're just getting started. So um, we will have a, a, a bigger sample size of what this team is with or without the ball. I do agree with you that I don't see this as a, as a possession-based team. And so, you know, whether the coaches find out early in the season or late like they did last year when they when they changed the formation, um, it, it's, it's going to be an indication of how the year will go for Inter-Miami. But still, this is a brand new team. It's going to take some time. Okay, well then, we will leave it there unless there's anything else Steve wants to add on either of these two games or the state of the team because we've been going on for a bit. We're closing in on our first break. So, Steve, anything you want to add with regards to the team, the performances, uh, or as anything as we head into this next week and this next game on Friday, Inter-Miami plays CF Montreal. Closed doors, scrimmage now, but anything you want to add at all? Well, I just, I mean, Jose, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like he started pretty much the same defence on against Universitarios and then against DC United, right? Right, correct. Yes. Yeah, so that, that gives you an early insight into where exactly what, and as we've, you've touched on already, where, where his his mind is at. You know, you're normally in, in the pre-season friendly, you try and give everyone a run out, but, you know, they're trying to nail down starters for that, for that first game on the, on, the, on the 26th, and that's clearly the way they're going in terms of that, that back line. 
I, I don't think that will be the back line. I think that uh, Jairo Quinteros will be a starter on this team. He just wasn't around for those games because he was with Bolivia. I imagine Mabika and McVeigh are probably starters, uh, but I think Quinteros is in there. I don't think Frey is, like they said, they're going to bring him along slowly. I don't think he's sure. going to be a starter um, at the beginning of the season unless you know unless he continues his form because right now he is the leading goal scorer on Inter Miami this preseason. Come so, on now, hey, come hey, on now, hey, that, he's got two goals, man. He's got two goals. He's got two, <laughs> two and three, two and three games. So that's just a stat. That's just a stat. Uh, so all right. Uh, and I do want to touch on one more thing really quickly that Jose mentioned before because there are different ways to view the game. Something we touched on yesterday at practice. You can see the game from TV. That's one perspective. You can see the game from up above in the press box or in a suite. That's a different perspective. And then you can see the game from on the field like a coach does or like a technical staff does. And that's a completely different perspective. So I appreciate that you were able to, to take in the different types of elements that one can have when watching the game from field level um i have a hard time watching football from the field level i just it's just not i don't know i don't know if i have the eye for it or what like i don't think i could be a coach because i just don't see the game well from field level i see the game much better from up in the press box when you can see the team's shapes and how they're moving um as an organized unit or a disorganized unit so i um, i thank you jose again for being able to provide us with that that information because those type of details are things you can take away from field level in terms of the communication, how much f- more physical and, and intense um, f- uh, things are and how quick things are. The game is played from the field level. Um, and obviously you can pick up nuggets like communication and such when there's no fans in the stands. So, Jose, thank you again. But let's take a quick break. We have a few players we still want to touch on, including Clement Diop, who may be the starter for the season opener, maybe. But we'll touch on all that after a quick break after this. guys let's touch on a few players here because we just dove into the overall analysis of these first two preseason games or the two that we were able to see out of the three let's dive into a bit more of the standings of current players or the current standings of players sorry one is clement diop who spoke to us yesterday for the first time and I think there's a, I, I said this last week, but I think there's a very, or two weeks ago, I think there's a very good chance he is the starter on February 26th against the Chicago Fire. And Nick Marsman's still working his way back from, from injury. There's nothing Diop said yesterday that was revealing in terms of, you know, them thinking that he will be the starter or anything. There was nothing like that in his, in his comments, but just based on where we're at, we haven't seen Nick Marsman in a game yet. Diop has played. In, in all of them, he started that game against Universitario. So I I think Diop will be the number one guy at the at the end of the month. I imagine he'd be the starter over Drake Callender, who's still a young up-and-coming goalkeeper. I have questions about Diop. He made some good saves against Universitario, but in terms of his build-out and connection, I, I saw some mistakes there against uh, Lau. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think we will see Diop? Do you think there's any chance... That Nick Marsman starts, or or is Diop going to be the guy at the end of the month? Steve, what do you think? I mean, if he's not fit, I don't think he hasn't really got many other options, has he? 
I mean, he could go Drake Callender, but again, do I mean, there's, do you think we'll see Nick Marsman? Do you think there's a chance or do you think D-Up's the guy? Well, do you think they're planning, you know, D-Up will, will start? Because let's say Nick Marsman recovers this week or next week. Is that enough time for him to start in goal with a new back, a whole new back line by the end of the month? Probably, probably, probably not. Um, it depends. He, he, we don't know how much training he's been doing. And Marsman didn't really put, didn't really do too much wrong, did he? Last, last year when he, when he, when he came in. So, um. Yeah, but if he's not been fit, then you can, you know, it looks, looks like it could be the new guy that's going to start off. Yeah, I, I listen, I don't have any information with regards to how severe his knee injury was that he that he suffered at the end of 2021. But I have become aware of some information that, that it might be uh, more serious than they've been willing to admit. Because when you when you when we've asked about him, you know, we've been told he's, he's just doing individual work or he's, he's doing work off to the side. There's never been a real description of what his knee injury was uh and how long the recovery is that has never been provided publicly by the team so let's keep an eye on that jose what are your thoughts is d up the guy at the end of the month in between the sticks for inter miami um well i think it's too early again we still have 24 days until the start of the season um but obviously it's not looking good for marsman but um I, I do think, you know, Diop is a good goalkeeper. I mean, uh, listen, starting goalkeeper is not like the starting pitcher on opening day in baseball or the quarterback in the NFL. It's, I mean, it's it's a position that you can you can rely on your backup for um, for a game or two. So I don't think it's that it's that concerning, but as of right now, yeah, I mean, it's it's looking like Diop will be the starting goalkeeper for Inter Miami. Yeah, I, I think. Look, Nick Marsman, one of his strengths, one of the biggest talking points after he arrived last year was his ability to to hit a good pass, be it you know in the air or on the ground. And I think, given that he had a knee injury, it's going to take some time for him to to get not only back to to full health, but also to feel confident in hitting those passes and obviously developing chemistry with a fairly new back line. So I think Diop, again, I will reiterate, I think Diop will be the guy in net at the end of the month against the Chicago Fire. Okay, let's switch gears to Robert Taylor, who is rumored and linked to be moving to Inter Miami. It sounds like it's going to happen. And obviously, don't I've never seen him play. I don't know if you guys have, but Steve... What do you think a player like a Robert Taylor will bring to Inter Miami? What will he add? Do you think he's a, a potential starter? Do you think he's he's more of a, a depth option? What do you think Robert Taylor will bring to Inter Miami? Well, I mean, you know, again, more just continental experience, having come from, you know, come from Sweden, Finnish, yeah, Finnish, Finnish national team player, twenty-seven years old. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's been around. He's done. A, he's got a weird. Played a youth career, Barnet, Lincoln City, Nottingham Forest. He's been all over the place, which and hasn't really played too many games where you know where he's um you know where wherever he sort of ended up. Uh, he's been in Norway. Um, excuse me, I, I don't, he hasn't played in Sweden. I, I made that up. Um, so he, <laughs> he, he on your football manager, he has. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to check him out. Actually, I'm currently manager of Orlando City right now, and it's it's not going very well. Oh so I'm, man, I'm the listeners are not going to like that. They're Sorry. not going to like so that. I, but, but Phil Neville is under pressure, so if the job does come up into Miami, I will go. Um, but I'm having a problem with Dal DK at the moment. But anyway, that's that's <laughs> that's irrelevant. Um, he yeah, he's been around, but he hasn't really stuck around 
anywhere. Um, so it's very nomadic existence, but you know, just I guess brings different experiences to the table, be something different um, to, to what they've already got. He can play a wing back, um, he's a midfielder as well. Yeah, he looks like an interesting guy. It doesn't sound like he's going to be an absolute world beater, but just yeah, another body and, and an experienced one as well. Jose, what do you think? Is this the the player that you think Chris Henderson was alluding to in his press conference in terms of bringing in uh, another player that can help create chances for the team? Or do you think that there's another player out there somewhere that they're also looking at? Well, it's it, it's really hard to tell because, you know, we don't really have an indication of, uh, of what the plans are for this team in terms of finding that. I think they, the one player that they're missing is that number 10. Right, you know uh, that that player that can actually prevent Gonzalo Higuain from <laughs> moving away from a box. I I really don't like that idea. Um, I don't know if Taylor is going to be that player, but I see a couple of things with 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 him. I think age is one positive sign. Twenty seven years old. I mean that's that's good. I mean that's a good age to come to to MLS. I guess so. Maturity level as well should be good enough. Um, national team player as well. Um, I think, you know, obviously Finland might be, might not be a powerhouse, but, you know, still you get that experience coming in and, um, you know, I, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what it brings to, to the, to the table, obviously playing in a differently in MLS, you know, it's going to be a challenge for him early on. Um, I don't know if, if weather is going to be something, you know that that we should or, or will be talking about um, in, in a few weeks. Remember, um, Kieran Gibbs. You know he talked about that as well. Humidity and how things were here different than you know places he he had played before. So those are the little things. But but we'll see what he brings on the field and and what he's able to do. I think it's a toss up right now. We're gonna have to wait and see what what he does on the field and then. We, we can we can actually make an assessment and make a decision whether it was a good signing or not, or whether he is that guy that will actually help the the team create chances. If this is a good signing, I mean, all props to Chris Henderson because you know this is not a player that I think most of us had had on, on our radar to come to Inter Miami. Yeah, I have a quick question for both of you. Are you guys absolutely confident that Inter Miami wants a number ten? Steve, yes or no? They need one. But, but do you think they go Motta. for? It? Do you think they're going to sign one? Do you think they're looking for a number ten? Isn't Motta a number ten? No, he's an eight. No, he's an eight. Mm. Like a more I mean, of a Blaise yeah. Matuidi type player. They do, they do. Um, I think Vega. Remember, guys, Vega. The the game. The there was there was a name that was uh, that, that was linked to to Inter Miami, but obviously after what happened in Copa Libertadores, his price went up a little bit. I think that was the number ten guy. But do you think they're still actively looking for a number ten right now? I'm not convinced that they are. I'm not convinced that they're looking for a number ten. I, I, I so, think I think this team is going to be what we've seen so far in preseason. A team that has five at the back, plays with wing backs that, that rush forward. They have two wingers that they can provide with, but are also tucked in and play in the half spaces. And then you have your two midfielders. Because if if you bring in a number ten, now you're changing the whole the whole thing up. It's going to be what a four two three one possibly, and you have a ten that that and is Iguain going to drop back? I mean that that there's a whole bunch of questions I have. Given the skill sets that I see from players on this roster, I think I don't think that they're necessarily looking for a ten. I don't think they've ever even said that. I could be wrong. My memory could be 
could be mistaken or could be shoddy right now after all those Aguilas that I had in uh, in Colombia. But I don't believe they've ever come outright and said, we want a 10. Henderson said, we want a more creative player that helps with, you know, generating chances and opportunities, etc., etc. But he never said a 10 outright. I think a lot of us on the media assumed a number 10 because they, they don't have that type of player on the roster. But and it I'm matches not... the description. Yeah, and on it, of course. But, I mean, a creative, someone that can help generate chances and be creative can also come from the wing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a number 10, which is why I'm not fully convinced that they're looking for a 10. I'm not fully convinced. Maybe they are, and I'm completely wrong, but I'm not fully convinced that they're looking for a 10. They, they might think they already have a number 10. With Higuain. If they, if they drop the Higuain and then put Campana as a 9. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Higuain has, has mentioned that. Slow. And right. we've seen it even in these games. He's lined up as the number nine, but he's dropped back. He dropped back in that first half against Universitario at times and played more like a false nine, which then allowed the wingers, Lasseter and Robinson, to provide the the verticality and the penetration into the final third at times. So and, and I, you I, think, have I think we can see there. that. I think we could see that uh, over the course of the season. You have, you have a point there because... If you look at the midfielders that they have, if, if, I'm going to give you names. Victor Ulloa, Jean Mota, Mo Adams, even George Acosta, Gregory. They all feel, you know, it, it feels like they're basically the same player. They're right? all right. They, they're all eights or sixes. There's not, I mean, George Acosta, you can make the argument he can play the 10, uh, but obviously he's he hasn't played at this level, so... They don't have yeah, a bunch I, of tens. I was just giving you another name, but right, right. they are basically the same player, and so similar um, similar skill sets is the best way to say it. I think right, and through the wings, they have options as well. So you know, I mean, it could be they could they could honestly play four, two, and two wings and and two two strikers. Yeah, they could do it. I mean, they could play Wayne and Campana. Side to side and and just give just give uh, that would be more freedom as well. That would be Steve's absolute dream, the old fashioned four four two. And we've talked about that. We we touched on that last year. I remember us touching on that last year when it was just you and I on the podcast. And uh, and I I think I gave you stick for it because I, I you know it is a very almost outdated formation in modern in modern football. But maybe Inter Miami turns to that old-fashioned four-four-two to create that block of of eight and try to be real tough to to break down and obviously look to hit on on the counterattack. Maybe maybe we see that. Maybe we see that if and when they they go to a four-man backline. But I do think again they'll stick with that that five-man defense for for much of the year. Quickly, last thing we should touch on or that I I want to touch on here is the stadium update. Steve, this is your bread and butter. I know you love talking about uh, the more local politics and, and everything that goes into a stadium deal. So what can you tell us about the latest update on a stadium project in Miami? Well, only that there's a special city commission meeting scheduled for Wednesday, February the 3rd, uh, 10 a.m. City Hall, where they are considering any and all actions related to the proposed lease for the Miami Freedom Park. So it basically, basically it's into Miami trying to get a lease for Mel Reese. Lisa Melrose, um, <laughs> to then move forward with the next part of planning. Now, if, if they do get the lease for the for the golf course and, and that and that area, then that is seen as as a pretty major step forward. Well, there's a lot of obstacles to clear there, um, but I'm told that they have to they're, they're going to vote on on the lease. Um, you know, typical you know political 
situations involving uh, I think Ken Russell is, is is one of the commissioners. He's he's trying to get into the Senate. So you know it's it's very much all up in the air. If they get the lease, I think it's a it's a it's a step forward. But there's still a lot of hurdles to clear. And even someone who, who's very close to this was, was telling me this morning that he wouldn't even expect you know a, a site to be built for the you know or be ready for in, until maybe seven ten ten years time so um you know wow. it's uh, the same person actually said that he attended the game the other day having been a staunch sort of uh, opposer of of the stadium for lord and thought it was fantastic so um it's it's a potential step forward i wouldn't get too excited there it was interesting that my held and our friend michelle kaufman did big pieces last week sort of really pushing the whole we don't want to be in Fort Lauderdale we want to be in Miami probably with a nudge from um, um, Mayor Suarez who, who obviously is keen to put this through so you know it, it rears his head up now and then it, it's kind of there's not much movement if they get the lease it's interesting certainly it's a, it's a step forward um, but you know there's a, there's a lot of red tape and stuff to sort out but um, yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens can I, can I be honest I mean I'm always honest on this podcast obviously but I'm going to be painfully honest here. I'm bored of the stadium conversation in Miami. Like, it's, oh yeah, it's, we've been talking about it for years. I mean, yeah, and it's it's moving at a snail's pace, and it's always another hurdle, another thing. And I get that's part of the process, but I'm just I'm bored. I'm not going to add anything to the conversation oh, other than to say that no. Jose, anything you want to add with regards to the stadium? Yes, forget about deadlines when it's come when it comes to the stadium, the building a stadium in Miami. There's no two weeks. There's no three weeks. There's not one month. You know, one day will happen if it's, you know, God's will that it happens. It will happen. If not, please don't stress. Just go to Fort Lauderdale. By that, by, I mean, by now, I think everybody's used to that. Listen, it's, I drive one hour and 15 minutes to get there and um, I'm getting used to it. So, you know, of course I'm getting paid to do this, but still. <laughs> yeah, not, the, not quite the same thing when you're getting paid to do it as opposed to uh, paying money to go do it. So, um, yeah, apples to oranges there, my friend. Apples to oranges. Anyway, Jose, really quickly, are you bored of this, of this, all this, of this Miami stadium news? Um, Quick, quickly, just it, it, quickly. Yes or no? Yes or no? I am. I am. I'm like, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's so, it's so far off. It does. It's not anywhere close. And we've talked about it for years and years and years and years. Are you bored? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm not bored when I think about having a stadium 20 minutes from my house and I get really excited. <laughs> and then and then I start thinking about the politicians in Miami and then I'm bored. Okay. All right. All right. That, that, that suffices. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We have our Q&A session. We'll run through that very quickly and give our final thoughts. We'll do that after this. Okay, guys, Q&A time, and we're going to jump right into it with a question that literally just came in. Had we started this Q&A session five, ten minutes earlier, maybe we don't get to this question, but I think it's an interesting question. So we'll start with this one. It's from Pablo Coppola. Is Diego Alonso's instant success with Uruguay a telling sign of how poor of a job Inter-Miami did to set him up for success? I will start with yes. you, Steve. I will start with you, Steve, because we've had plenty of debates about Diego Alonso. So. What? Into Miami's fault that that he wasn't any good. Is that is that the question? 
uh, yeah, they, he didn't do a good a good enough job here. Sure, yes. Well, I mean, look, he's he's landed on his feet and, and got a fantastic fantastic job. Um, I, you know, it's like anything when you you go into a situation. I think situation that Inter Miami were in at that point, scr- scrabbling to build a roster. He was brought in very late. You know, it's difficult. They got into the playoffs, didn't they? Which I guess in retrospect was actually a, a decent decent achievement. Um, so the answer is yes. Yeah, 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 probably. Yeah, it doesn't didn't make it doesn't make him a bad coach just because he failed it into Miami. It doesn't mean he's a bad coach. He didn't necessarily wasn't he was given some tools and then I guess he yeah maybe he didn't utilize them properly. Maybe he's better suited to international management. Who who knows? Uh, we we don't know when when he when he wins the World Cup in, in November. Then who's going to be laughing then? You know, Diego, Diego Alonso is going to be laughing at all of us. <laughs> well, I'll answer the question in this in this way. And then Jose, I already heard your yes, but. The question is, is Diego Alonso's instant success with Uruguay a telling sign of how poor of a job Inter Miami did to set him up for success? Now, if you're unfamiliar with the job Diego Alonso has taken or the job he's done now, he has become Uruguay's national team head coach, another person that has landed a very prominent position after maybe not doing so well with Inter Miami, like Leandro Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal. He replaces uh, El Maestro, the long-standing, legendary Uruguayan coach, Oscar Tavares, and he has gotten Uruguay to two wins. Back-to-back wins, a 1-0 win on the road against Paraguay, and then a 4-1 thrashing of Venezuela yesterday. So, Uruguay has now moved into fourth place in World Cup qualifying. They were at they were in danger when they when they fired Tavares of not making it. They made the change. Diego Alonso has come in, and they've gotten off to a flying start under him. I would say it's a... I don't know if it's a telling sign. It's definitely a sign that Inter Miami didn't offer him a whole lot in terms of giving him the tools to succeed. But I also think that you have to take into context the fact that he's coaching a national team of the stature of Uruguay, that yes, it was in a rut, a bit of a rut before his arrival, but that still is very, very, very talented with the likes of Luis Suarez, Rodrigo yeah. Betancourt, there's, you know, Edison Cavani, there's so much talent on that team. So for he's me, basically for swapped me, Carranza and Ronnie Robinson, <laughs> Luis Suarez and Edison <laughs> so, so I think I can get to the World Cup like that. But, but I will say one thing very quickly is that someone I spoke to who's, who worked with Diego Alonso said that you know Diego Alonso was very hands-on. He wants to be involved in, in everything, micromanaging everything, which sometimes doesn't work because you need to delegate a bit more, which Phil Neville does. But when you're an international manager, because you're not seeing the players the whole time, maybe it suits his style of management a bit that he can be all over everything and then the, but the players won't be there the whole time and he can sort of micromanage until his heart's content so it may, it may suit him better so it's going to be interesting to see how they get on I was going to add that as well because he's coaching Uruguay's national team that is the country his birth country it's his home he knows those players or, or what those players are about maybe not personally that well yet but he knows how what makes them tick he knows what the Uruguayan player is like he's he was a former player himself so he's more familiar with them than maybe he was with an American player or the MLS system which is as we know very complex and complicated so I think there's it's it's hard to just say that his success with Uruguayos his initial success with Uruguay is just a result of him not not having a whole lot of you know positives uh, or a lot of success around him at Inter Miami but I do think it's it's a bit of a sign Jose your turn. Well, I do believe um, Inter Miami missed a chance with Diego Alonso, but you know, um, the the one name that comes to mind, um, it's Paul McDonnell. I don't think he built a good enough team, and I th- I think he he built a team uh, on that first year that he liked, but then when they signed the coach, you know, maybe he was not 
um, comfortable or or he was not ready to 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 work to implement a formation that he liked with those players. There was a disconnect at some point there, I believe. And then Absolutely. you know Diego Alonso, if if you are able to convince uh, to lead players like um, um, Edinson Cavani, Luis Suarez, uh, Diego Godin to to believe in your system, then you know. I think you have to be a good coach because they have been around and they have been around a lot of coaches and at the national team level, they had a very good coach for a long time. So, you know, that tells you the story about Diego Alonso. So let's be right. He he left under a cloud, he's a sort of stainless CV and he's gone on to land probably his dream job and the biggest job for any Uruguayan coach or, or player. I mean, good, fair play to him. You know, I, I, whoever his agent is deserves a raise because they've done superbly well. He's going to go to the World Cup. Amazing story, really. Well, it is interesting because, like, like I mentioned uh, last week, and like I just mentioned a bit ago, Inter Miami hasn't been a success on the field the last two years. Yet, some, yet still, yet still, I'm not gonna say somehow. Yet still, Diego Alonso and Nicolas Figal and Leandro Gonzalez Pires, they've all taken steps to, uh, you know, steps up in their career after not doing well here. Normally, you take steps back after not succeeding. But they've taken steps forward, you know, like the old, like the saying goes, they've fallen forward in terms of their careers because they've gone on to bigger teams, uh, despite not having a whole lot of success down here, which is a very interesting note and maybe a sign of what Inter Miami can provide someone uh, from a career standpoint because they get so much attention. It's linked with David Beckham's name. Imagine if this team does well. Imagine the possibilities for all of these certain types of players. So uh, definitely interesting, definitely noteworthy. I think that those three former Inter Miami protagonists have all have all gotten off to big, have gone off to bigger teams. But next question. The only problem is, what, sorry, one final thing. The only problem is, is when Luis Suarez says Diego Alonso, Diego, I've just had a call from Inter Miami. What do you think? He's going to say, <laughs> you know what? Nah, I don't know. Nah. <laughs> somewhere else yeah, yeah yeah Suarez to Inter Miami might have just taken a hit um, with Diego Alonso's appointment over there but anyway next question I did, I did I have one more thing I did I did took the risk a few days ago prior to like, the game against Venezuela and went on the on the press conference and I did ask about Inter Miami and let me tell you he was not very you know it was a risky move to ask him about Inter Miami on my part but he was okay. He was okay with the answer. You know, he was he was positive about it. He's always a professional. He was always a professional. Always a professional while he was here. Even 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 in the hard games and the hard moments, the hard questions, you know, he always kept it professional. Even even if he was probably boiling uh, under the surface. But next question comes from Endo, and this is a bit of a lighter one. But he says, "I recently saw that Inter Miami follows Orlando. I'm not going to use the expletive. I'm just going to say the team's name. Orlando City." <laughs> I'm absolutely gutted. Why in the world do we follow our biggest rival? This has to be a joke, right? Like, why? It doesn't make any sense. Arsenal don't follow Spurs. Barcelona doesn't follow Madrid. Bayern doesn't follow Dortmund. Jose, your thoughts? Because it's MLS. Exactly. That's why. <laughs> because exactly. it's MLS. Maybe there's there's a rule somewhere that Don Garber, or maybe a memo from Don Garber, that they do have to follow every single team in the league. You want followers, you want clicks, you want likes. That's what you like. That's that's MLS. That's MLS. So I can, that's why. I can tell you this for a fact. This is information that I have and I don't this is I don't I can't put it to this social media um following per se, like the, this 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 trend of following every team. But I, I will say that I know for a fact that there are 
rules in place that clubs have to announce certain things that other teams are doing over the course of the year. Like it's it's obligated, mandatory for the teams to do that. Like let's say the Chicago Fire are no longer in the playoff run. They've you know they're actually their season's over. The playoffs are going, but they're out of the playoffs. Uh, and they're in their off season, and the news comes out of this is the schedule for the playoffs. Just for an example, right? And I'm just giving you an example. I don't know if this is exactly it, but this is an example. Every team has to put out a release saying this is this is the schedule, or etc. So these are when the games are played, etc. etc. So there are mandatory obligations from MLS that make every team have to follow certain types of rules to help the league grow. Which is, you know, I mean, you could have your your viewpoint on it, Steve. What are your thoughts on the social media conundrum here? Um, I, I think you have a word with into Miami social. It, it's not a conundrum, is it? It's not a It's a modern day first world question that in the cold light day, absolutely zero disrespect to the questioner, but I don't think anyone cares. They really don't. <laughs> I mean, he, don't. he cares. I don't care. He cares. He, he cares. That's fine. You can care about what you want. Does, does anyone else care? Uh, I think okay. it's good that he cares, though. It's good. Because... He cares. It's good. It, no, no, no. I understand. That's that's awesome. You talk about right, having that rivalry. If anyone is it wants to know what a proper derby match is like, you could tune it and watch the highlights of Celtic Rangers, which is happening right now. So when you listen to this, it will already happen. But no, that's it. That's what it's all about is having those those rivalries and those, those passions. But I'm not going to get too upset about a social media account, to be fair. Well, inter- let's, let's just use Universitario as an example. They do not follow Alianza Lima. So that's another example of, of a big team, <laughs> relatively speaking, that doesn't follow their rival. I mean, it's it's pretty standard. You don't follow your rival. But, in, you know, like, like Jose said, MLS will. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. But, yeah. Like Jose said, MLS will MLS. So let's leave it there for the Q&A session. Let's just jump into our final thoughts because we've gone long on this show. I will start, actually, and then you guys can, can finish up the show. I was in Colombia this past weekend, went with some friends. I was I was torn because I had to miss the Inter-Miami preseason game against DC United, but once-in-a-lifetime experience going to Barranquilla for a World Cup qualifier. I didn't cover the game as a journalist, went as a fan, and it was incredible, man. Incredible, incredible. Not only because uh, Inter-Miami, not only because Peru won and they pulled it out with a late goal in a game that they were under pressure for the entire 90 minutes, but just the way that the Peruvian fans chanted for the entirety of the game while the Colombian supporters were pretty quiet. It was just spectacular, spectacular. And it, and it was, you know, the experience was everything you hear about playing in Colombia and Barranquilla in a World Cup qualifier. It was hot. The sun's in your face. Everything you hear about it, it's it's true. And But it was it was worthy experience. Among the best I've had as just attending a game as a fan where you can just enjoy it and, and live it, not have to be so analytical and, and you know, working it. So amazing time. If you are an Inter-Miami fan and you're listening to this and you're from South American descent or from South America, you've never been to a World Cup qualifier in South America, I highly, 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 sorry, my voice went there, highly, highly recommend it. So that's my final thought, and I will now turn the mic over to Jose. All right, my final thought, it, I mean, it's, it's it um, will stay local. Um Miami FC, they were able to start preseason under Anthony Polis as well, a name well-known in Inter-Miami. So I was there for the first day, um, a very good squad. Um, you can tell already a, a very good coach. The, the change in the, in the way things are done, um, it's, it's something that you can already tell is going to be positive for this team. So um, obviously a team that can later on 
um, faced Inter Miami in U.S. Open Cup play. So that's something to think about. Anthony Pulis knows exactly what Phil likes to do. So that should be an interesting matchup. And another thought as, as well when it comes to local football, um, Miami United, another team that's um, that has, has been able to do some, you know, they, they have been able to make some noise. I would say in U.S. Open Cup, they are announcing a new head coach as well which is Jose Luis Villarreal. So, you know, things are getting interesting when it comes to US Open Cup, which is, by the way, my favorite tournament in North America. So those are my final thoughts. Steve, you're up. Yeah, um, no, I just, no, like I say, I just think momentum is, is being being built. I'm excited to see Yedlin. And now, also interesting, we could see, you know, who they're going to who they're gonna go for now. Maybe that DP spot won't be filled until... Until the summer, uh, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, and yeah, once again, if anybody wants to watch Celtic Rangers, they definitely should uh, on CBS the highlights because it is the one of the great derbies in world football, if not the, the greatest, without a doubt. I've been there once, went to Celtic and Parkhead in Glasgow, and you, you just yeah, the atmosphere is just phenomenal. So, but not as good as Colombia versus Peru, obviously. Oh, man. shout out to shout out to Emilio Aguirre then for the Celtic Rangers. Yes. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> number one left back in the history of Celtic. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not as good as Peru Colombia. Look, it, it, it just just the overall vibe, man. Just being in a country where football oh. reigns supreme and it means so much to everyone. It's just a spectacular. If you're a soccer fan, it's a spectacular, spectacular. And a late winner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean that that just put the, that was the icing on the cake. But just oh, it's man. not the first World Cup qualifier I've had in South America. But just finding that feeling again. And and Brilliant. feeling that vibe and that uh, that electricity and that atmosphere is is spectacular because you see how much it means. When Colombia lost, the national team got booed off off the field, and there were a lot of choice words for that team. That happens here in Miami, but it, you know the day to day, you don't see the, the the local news talking about it. You don't see that that type of pressure. Going back to Universitario's head coach, he got peppered with questions about the Fortezero loss to to Inter Miami, even though it was a preseason game. It just means so much, and and that passion is is contagious and incredible incredible i think only football brings brings that in terms of a sport on a worldwide worldwide scale but anyway let's leave it there for now we've gone very long on this podcast longer than we intended to but that's normally what what happens here thank you guys again so much for listening if you stuck around to the very end please give us a follow on all our social media channels and a review on apple podcast it we really appreciate it and helps us out tremendously we'll be back again next week we'll have more games to talk about more news to dissect and plenty of course to bring you guys we'll also have a special special guest it won't be an inter miami player but we do have a guest lined up for you guys next week but for steve brenner for jose armando i am franco penizo this is miami total football radio and we'll talk to you guys again very very soon